all CEOs, me included, we don't actually know what we're doing. They're all sharks, so all you got to do, though, is no shark bait. I don't think we've ever talked about this before. <laughs> we can capture all of the wallet share. First place you start is with the product. That's just the first nut. This is the Capital Stack. Hey, everybody, this is David Paul, the host of the Capital Stack podcast, where I talk to founders, operators, and investors about all things value creation within startups. Today, I am speaking to Eva Ho, who is the managing partner at Fika Ventures. Eva has uh, quite a long investing and operating career. Uh, before Fika, she was at Sousa Ventures, again, as a managing partner. Um, and before that, she was an operator. Uh, she worked at um, what was Applied Semantics. Yeah. Right? Uh, Factual and Applied Semantics. So. And, you know, I'm, I'm doing, I was doing a little research, and someone wrote an article about Applied Semantics saying it was the, probably the most valuable Google acquisition. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Is that true? Um, Aside from the Android. Yeah, I, I mean, it's hard to reflect because they bought so many things. It was its, its second acquisition, um, and uh, certainly it was meaningful. Um, you know, but in all honesty, I think they bought the idea and the budding technology. And there's probably not a single line of code today that is what applies sense semantics. Um, what they bought back then, uh, but yeah, from an ideas perspective, from AdSense, uh, you know, given what it represents from revenues today. Um, I would say it's fairly significant. Awesome. So why don't we start off, Eva, talking a little bit about Fika, um, because I think that um, the world needs to, you know, uh, the, the people that, that don't know who Fika are, they need to know, and that's probably a small group of people because you've got a very prestigious firm in L.A., and I'd love to hear about the Fika story. Thank you so much, David, and uh, uh, so generous. Those words are so generous. Um, yeah, so TX and I started Fika in uh, late 2016. And both he and I were, um, at different vehicles. Honestly, I was at Sousa, uh, and he was at his own, he was managing his own fund through a, a family office. So, um, you know, back then we were looking at, uh, Los Angeles and, you know, we both of us are an opportunity here to build something special together, um, and to build a firm that we were not able to achieve either at Sousa or at Carlin where he was. Um, the gap we saw was like LA just, you know, I think we had uh, a few firms here, um, but I can't, I, it's hard for me to think of one that was started by an operator um, and one that had the ambition to really tackle enterprise software. Now there's a couple of more, but when we started back then seven years ago, uh, there are very few f- firms that focused on, you know, deeper tech, cloud tech, um, AI and things like that. So when we were pitching to LPs in our first fund, um, the story was, you know, a bit orthogonal, honestly, and um, it was not an easy fundraise because uh, folks were like, well, you know, new partnership, is that going to work out? Um, LA and enterprise, that doesn't really, you know, that doesn't really gel. Um, and so uh, it was a bit of an uphill battle, but, you know, we were lucky to get some people that believed in us and, you know, the ecosystem has played out really nicely. Um, so today, 
you know, we manage about 350 million, a team of 10. Um, you know, we believe in being together. So we're actually all physically in Los Angeles, but we invest across North America and have stayed very true to the enterprise software. And of course, that's a very big umbrella. Um, but we tackle most things B2B. We also do fintech. Um, we do things like health tech, which I know, David, you and I um, chat a lot about. So, yeah, we've it's still in the same umbrella, but we've expanded, um, I would say, our scope a bit. Um, and hopefully still doing good work. Yeah, no, I, I definitely would say that you're doing great work. From going from like a fund one, which I think everyone kind of has to really pick um, a niche or a story. And generally speaking, fund ones have to you know go to the geographic uh, story. And it sounds like that was very key to, to Fika's uh, first fund. And a lot of words are kind of thrown around in there. Um, community is one of them. And it's important to build entrepreneurship community. And we want to catalyze, you know, L.A. founders. Um, now you're much bigger and the world is much bigger. And with COVID, everyone's working in a bunch of different places. Does Is community relevant anymore? To your, to your, or is it? I, I always feel like community is a little overplayed. Yeah, it's such a great question, um, and I, I think not only um, VCs but founders are probably struggling with this concept today. Um, you know, when we started, I think, and I work with a lot of emerging managers today. Like, it's important to focus. It's important to earn. You know, the respect of people around you. Um, you got to start somewhere, and I feel like folks who are too broad. Uh, and not everyone may agree with me. I think it's very difficult to win when you say, hey, like, I want to do everything for everyone across all these geos, especially the type of service that we like to do, which is kind of high touch, uh, being together, uh, being in person, supporting founders in person. So I think the story started fine in that, you know, we were um, we were a new thing in L.A. Um, and we wanted to win in a more provincial way. And we said, hey, like, let's demonstrate we could do good work in LA with our thesis and then slowly earn our way into other markets. Um, so we took our time. Like I think um, I would say one characteristic of our fund is we're fairly thoughtful and some may argue a bit conservative in that way. Like while there are a lot of opportunities all around, including things like crypto and that crept up everywhere, like um, and other very attractive geos like Israel, et cetera. Um, intellectually, I would love to do them. Intellectually, I would like to do everything. Um, but I think our team had decided to like, hey, like make a stake here, make sure, you know, you are serving L.A. well. And we could talk about what that actually means, David, um, and then be able to like expand and slowly like grow out uh, the firm to be able to service other people. But at the end of the day, like all we are is a service to founders. And if we can't do that job well, then like we're not really worth much. So I think we had to kind of grow into ourselves to do that. Um, community is a big thing for us. You know, I think uh I don't know, did, David. Did you come to our first look event this year? Were you? No, I wasn't even. I wasn't even invited. Jesus, that's a massive. <laughs> God, you just like I just rub it in. Uh, yeah, that's super weird. Um, because you're like so, uh, like you're so. Um, the relationship is so strong with you, not just me, but TX and everyone else. So that's that's a big oversight. We'll fix that for next year. Um, <laughs> um but I think for us, like community is not only about you know having. Uh, you know, a place um, and relationship with the city and the county here. Um, but making sure that, um, you know, the goodness that we build with founders from both their wealth um, and job creation and opportunities 
that it not only benefits the folks that are inside the tech ecosystem, but it benefits others. And I think the folks that um, know FICA uh, know that we do a lot of work here to make sure um, a lot of, again, those opportunities are available and accessible to like lots of folks because LA has lots of challenges and the community is not just, you know, rich tech founders that live in Santa Monica and Pacific Palisades. Uh, you know, there's like 25% poverty in Los Angeles and we could go on and on, but LA as a city still has a lot, a lot of marginalized populations. Um, you know, where if it wasn't for certain people who committed to exposing them to the tech, um, tech jobs and tech ecosystem, tech companies, like they would never get this in their schools, et cetera. So, you know, we built programs like FICA Academy, et cetera, that we could talk about. But community for us is a very broad definition of everyone that is encompassing the space here. I mean, that's just Los Angeles. Certainly we have community around the country and across North America. But I think you would can say that we deeply care about LA. You know, it's a 10, 11 million people. Um, and there's a lot of needs here. Um, and we hope that, you know, FICA will be, you know, have a place that will have impact broader than just like, you know, uh, allocating capital. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so as you expanded out, I'm sure that you had to, um, I guess, leverage other GPs in other markets for deal flow um, to understand the markets better, understand, you know, kind of who's doing what. How did you run the process of trusting other investors? Because you know, essentially investors are, you know, they have self-interest, right, of their own books, right? So how did you know when, you know, you were getting a, a good opportunity versus um, you weren't? And how did you get across that finish line with trusting other GPs? Yeah, it, this is this is probably one of the big sort of um, areas that uh, a lot of managers continue to work on, including myself. Um, you know, relationships is everything in this business. The, our craft is based on all these relationships, and it's compounded over decades of work. Um, and I honestly feel like I live by a basic tenant, which is like I treat other people like how I would like to be treated, and that means like with great respect, with great reciprocity. Um, and I think over time, as I've gotten to know people and built that trust with them and alignment on the things that we care about, the priorities, like if I work with you, David, like I know through our interactions already, like I trust you even after only like two conversations um, because of the way we treated each other, right? Like when we were sharing, like I'm not worried if I, you know, share a deal with you that you're going to steal the deal, you know, like I just have that inherent trust because, you know, you've known TX for a Like this is the an ongoing thing. And it just takes time, David, it takes time. So I think you could control sort of how you behave in the ecosystem, which is making sure you're behaving well uh, mm -hmm. and you treat other people well, and uh, you treat information well. Um, and, uh, and, and then you just have to do the hard work of like spending time to get to know people. And I think when people really click and there's alignment, um, you feel it, like you get it, whether it's physically or through, through zoom. Like I think the first time I met you, um, it was so awesome because you were so proactive at saying, hey, Eva, like I heard you care about healthcare. We're both learning. It's a new space. It's a complicated space. Like, let's just share and talk and explore. And I really appreciated that. I didn't feel like you wanted anything from me except to just like learn from each other. And that immediate first interaction was just like delightful. You know, other people I would get on and and it's this is not a judgment thing, but they'll want to just probe me for like lots of stuff and want to, you know, want intros to LPs and whatever. I'm like, I'm happy to do that. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a big ask. 
happens more often than you than you think. Um, you know, because I think they see I'm connected to a lot of people on LinkedIn. And again, I'm not against that. And it's not like the bar is so high, like we have to be besties for me to share an LP. Like that's like like that's you know, that's not how I work. But there's gotta be some base, right? Like there's gotta there's gotta be some foundation before I think um you can make certain asks. So I'm always very careful about that. And, and, you know, I think the way you and I started is the way I generally like to start is like learn, share from each other, get to know each other, you know, beyond even work a bit. Um, and I know now you're here in LA, so I'm really excited to know you physically in this, you know, in, in space versus I think we've only seen each other this resume. So, so that's kind of how we do it. And all, you know, nine, the other nine people, we all, sh- they're with us. We brought them in with Fika, you know, because we all kind of see the world in the same way is that like, we hate being transactional, you know, because mm-hmm. that's only good. Like, even if you win one deal from someone, say you and I talked, you share something and I'm like, oh my God, like, I'm just going to go like do it because like, I feel like I'm better or whatever. And I win that deal. Like, how long is that going to last? <laughs> you know? Right. Are you going to call me again? Yeah. Well, you can only do that once, right? <laughs> yeah, you can only do that once. And the other thing, David, I think if there are folks who are getting in the industry, and, and as well as founders, right? Like I think when I started 10 years ago, I was pretty starry eyed by like a lot of the big VCs and, you know, my old company was backed by some, you know, big folks. And I had this like, you know, like I was a little kid, you know, I was just like, why do I belong here? And I was like, so, um, attracted to famous, you know, VCs, like whether you're from, and I won't say firms, you know, you can insert these, yeah, these very well branded blue chip firms and individuals that, you know, had a lot of social capital and on Twitter and on panels and, um, but as I've gotten into doing this longer, like it's actually very little correlation between how famous you are, um, to like the actual work that you'll do on the ground, um, you know, with a founder. And so I think doing it over 10 years, like I actually really appreciate folks that are not, you know, out there talking all the time, not, you know, needing to, um, you know, have like lots of exposure and influence, but they do the hard work of working with founders, being there for them, showing up listening um, and providing the right type of advice, those tend to still be fairly rare. Uh, you know, so when I find them and I sense I have it with you, like I hold on to them, you know, because uh, I can't say they're necessarily the majority, you know, I love lots of VCs, but you know, when I find those gems of people um, that fit that criteria that I just mentioned, like I really try to hold on to them. Yeah. Bad advice is cancer. Yeah, it's hard. And I think through um, the recent crises of both COVID and the SVB collapse, like you see some of the, um, you know, human behaviors of the worst of people and the best come out, you know, because I think uh, I was thinking through the SVB. I remember like exactly the moment where I was that day and I'm sure you do, you do too. But that day, like there were VCs who had a lot of money in these banks themselves. They were ultra stressed and they were pushing that stress and imprinting that stress onto founders. You know, they're calling founders like every 30 minutes, like, what are you doing? Have you moved the money yet? I was like, 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 they, like they got it. They heard you. Mm-hmm. They're smart people. That's why you back them. Like, mm-hmm. and I know you're stressed. So I had to call some VCs and be like, back off, dude. Like, right. you know, <laughs> right. now, you know, like back off because like, this I, isn't helpful. Yeah. <laughs> helpful, you know, and, but it's humans, right. You know, whether you're a VC founder, like we're all this, we're made of the same thing. And, um, so I think these last like three years uh, definitely, you know, highlighted certain types of people and really emphasize, you know, the folks that we like, like we're definitely doubling down on them. <laughs> so, yeah, um, no, I think that's right. So I really liked what you said about how 
you had rosy colored glasses coming in, big brand names, big Twitter followers enamored you. And you've kind of learned over the years that, you know, that didn't necessarily correlate with success. Um, I have two questions uh, that kind of came off of that. One is like, what other things have you learned through your investing career that have changed drastically uh, from when you started to now? Um, I would say uh, a couple of things. Um, <laughs> I guess they all come from different perspectives. I think one running a VC firm is like really hard <laughs> compared <laughs> to running a company. Uh, that's, you know, that was like lesson number one because in the VC firm, it's just like, you know, small, tight communities with very different personalities mm-hmm. uh, where we make just a handful of decisions versus operating where, you know, I felt like I was making 20 decisions a day uh, with a lot more people. Um, that's number one. I think number two, um, I've been trying to like hone in on just personal biases and like the types of profiles of people I like. Um, mm. And I think that profile, not the fundamentals haven't changed in that, you know, certainly I'm looking for like, outlier performers, people with good track records, you know, um, smart, um, and high integrity and all those, those things are just like, you know, that's just like baseline stuff. Um, but in terms of just thinking through about the ideas that we want to solve together, uh, like, I feel like I, now I'm even more ambitious in going after things that are bigger, uh, in the past, I would say, hey, like, there's some folks that are really great. And I'm like, oh, they're really great, but they're doing something that's kind of incremental. And I'm like, I'm just going to do it anyways, you know, because maybe it's a base hit or not. And I think after doing it for 10 years, like, the stuff that attracts me, I think I, that's evolved a bit. Like, mm-hmm. I'm looking for bigger ideas, like people who have, who are more brave in what they're pursuing um, and maybe even quirkier, you know, because it's easy to, like, look at the basic stuff. They have the pedigree Right. Have the track record, all that stuff and say, hey, like from that, all that is really solid. Um, And we do lots of references and stuff. But now I'm like, you know, if you're a little quirky and you're a little out there, um, but I see that glimmer in your eye, like you're just like, like you're like going to be unstoppable in something and that something is big. Like I feel like I, I would say my team finds it frustrating sometimes because I think my bar for people and ideas have kind of, you know, changed and evolved over time. Um, Mm -hmm. I say that's one of the things I want to say it's a learning, it's an evolution. Um, it's yeah. evolution. Um, and yeah, I think I've just, I've also, the other thing I've learned is I think this is not so much of a rules-based game. And I think, you know, when I started, because our team's fairly analytical, it's very, for, like a bit formulaic, you know, it's like kind of like, these are the swim lanes. Um, we just had actually had a partner, a uh, little sort of hangout to talk about this. I was like, you know, my advice to him was like, let's just be more brave. And, you know, with all this AI stuff, like let's just spread our wings a bit more and give ourselves more latitude in terms of, um, you know, even what we focus on, you know, what we care about, because AI has changed so much of um, how, what possible things can be built. Um, I wanted to give them the freedom to say, Hey, like, I just want you to stay passionate because this is a game that you could only stay in it because it's such a long game. You don't make money for a really long time. Yeah. Like, I hope what drives you is like this, like, you're intellectually and, um, you know, you're like just really excited about it. Um, and that thing, those things change over time. So I feel like I want to give my team more license, like pursue the things that you really love so that you can stay happy at this sort of sometimes quite thankless job. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of a long winded answer, but I would say that's sort of, you know, I think when I started, like I wanted to please the LPs and say like, we do this, you know, and then we're going to prove this and then we're going to do this. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and it's not like we're going like off, like 
like off the, the, the graph here. Um, rules get broken. Yeah, rules get broken. So knowing when to make exceptions and, you know, we're also also been known as like a pretty price sensitive firm. And, you know, some people even call us like cheap. Uh, and I said, hey, like, again, you know, AI is just one thing. I mean, we didn't do much in crypto, but, you know, that's changed everything too, because some of these companies are more expensive. Um, you know, I don't have answers and maybe that's good. Uh, you know, we mm-hmm. just got to stretch and not be so, I would say we're very analytical and we're very conservative um, and changing to adapt so that the things that made us good five years ago may not be what's going to make us good for the next five years. So besides being yeah. quote unquote cheap, and I, I, I hear the same thing about myself, uh, what are some of your other biases? Mm. I'm very, I, think bi- I think biases are so interesting, right? Like, I mean, we all have them and it's like, I don't know if there's a, a, like a profession on the planet that is more biased than venture capital. Yeah. We are people who have like hardcore opinions and um, (laughs) everyone's in the opinion business in this game. But but there's no rules, right? There's no rules. And there's a gazillion ways to make money in this business. So many ways. And, um, and there's such a big element of luck. So it's often very hard to like pattern match successes to, you know, what you should do in the future. I would say some bias for me, like, and again, I think, uh, when you're building a firm um, with different people, like I feel like the people should be different, you know, in personality and areas or whatever, uh, versus like we're all kind of the same. And I, I would say I'm more oriented towards like product. Um, so my bias is like if I see, you know, um, a pitch, like very quickly, I'm like, I love this that story. Give it to me in like three minutes, five minutes, whatever let's like go right into the product, you know, because I feel like through the product, you could basically tell me everything else, <laughs> um, you know, what it does, uh, what you aspire to be, what's coming, who's buying it, how people are using it, what the reactions are so far. Like I could just like see it come alive. Like you don't have to show it through slides. And, and I think when I see, especially repeat founders, and I would say some of my teammates may or may not agree with me, um, who when it's precede, but they're like repeat founders and, they may even have had success before. They're sitting there and be like, oh, just it's, it's because, you know, I'm David Paul. I've founded some company before, so give me like three million bucks to get started. Um, if they don't have like some sort of demo that's beyond a Figma thing, like I'm kind of like scratching my head, you know? I'm like, what's up? Like, <laughs> like why don't yeah. you spend all the weekends doing something? And why don't you have, you know, some engineers that are following you because, you know, because you are supposedly creative and wonderful and brilliant. Um you know, if that's what you're pitching to me, like I would like to see something. And um, I think when they show up and they, they don't have anything, uh, but they just want us to give them money because of who they are. I'm kind of like, Ugh, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. but you know, I think some of my partners, are, I think a little less uh, sensitive to that, but I'm a tinker and it's a personality. And I feel like if I'm so passionate that I want, I'm convincing you, I'm going to do this for like decades, um, you know, and make all these sacrifices, like, like I would have been on the weekend just like doing something, you know, putting something yeah. together, touching it, feeling it and, and proving to myself uh, whether it could work by talking to some early customers before I asked for like, you know, one, two, three million bucks. You know, that's, you know, that's kind of how I like to operate. And that's one big, you know, for me, like I always like go towards that pretty quickly. Um, so, I mean, that that's a bias, but, but their companies have been built with just, you know, sheer force of nature and personality where the product isn't that great. And, you know, they take a different market, they might have outsourced engineering, which I don't love. Um, and they've worked. 
you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So there's uh, exceptions to everything, but I would say that's a big bias for me is like show up with something from a a demo. No. Well, I mean, it's kind of like they made their bones, right? Um, And you're right. It's kind of intellectually and from an execution perspective, lazy, right? To kind of come out and, and to do this. And I would say it's for sure a signal that they're not as con- capital conscious with your money than they are with their own <laughs> or their own influence. And, you know, let's say that $3 million didn't come, like, would they quit, right, <laughs> from you or the first 10 people yeah. before they did something else? And, um, no, I, I agree with you completely. You do a lot of nonprofit work, like a lot. I do. Um, I do. I've been, um, I've been, it's a big gift, you know, cause I think, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm sure there are people who will be listening. I'm not ultra wealthy. I'm not, you know, definitely not self, uh, I'm self-made. Um, there's like no generational money, not, not even a cent. Um, so I'm not, I guess like, I'm not one of those that made a ton of money and then sitting here and like writing a million dollars to get on a board of a college or something like that. And, um, and there's nothing wrong with those people because certainly uh, that's needed too. But um, I, I've, I've been lucky that I've had people from the for-profit world and or other folks that have passed through life with me um, that seen sort of the work I can do um, and they know the things I care about because of how, where I came from that they just brought me in and it's addictive, David, like, I know you do work here too. So, um, it's addictive, you know, people don't get it. Like people feel like, Oh, you're such a goody two shoe. And, you know, and I'm like, no, I was like, the, you know, I think my husband often reminds me like when I'm frustrated at my VC job, because like, you know, a sharp elbow got thrown out or whatever. And I'm just like frustrated by something. Um, he's like, Eva, just like go back to that place. Cause when you come back from some of these nonprofit meetings, um, on whatever issue. She's like, you're just so jet, like you're so alive. Um, mm-hmm. you know, because I think it reminds me when I'm doing work for folks who probably in LA are the folks who are struggling the most right, with housing, with food insecurity, with whatever, you know, foster youth or, you know, people coming out of probation, like, are, like, there's no understanding of that life compared to the life I lead. I lead, live in a very comfortable home here. Right. In LA. You know, on a daily basis, if I don't stretch into that world a bit, I'll never touch it, you know? Um, so I'm pretty sensitive to those things when people like complain about, you know, homelessness and stuff like that. And, you know, I often want to like, you know, like I, I, I challenge you to spend one day in their shoes, like, right. you know, like go sleep on the street just for one night. I'm, I'm not being, I'm not being facetious. Um, but I'm like, if you do that, then you understand why there's addiction, why, why, you know, why these folks, um, what it means to be in that situation, you know? And then I think you'll have a softer view of why, um, we as a society need to help to fix it, you know, versus like judging and criticizing and blaming, um, and, you know, being disgusted by it. Um, mm-hmm. like these, these are fellow human beings, you know, like they're no different than me and you. They just had a very unfortunate lot. Um, so anyways, those are the things I think um, keep me grounded, you know, when this world of high finance and money and power and, you know, whatever, whatever, um, you know, when I spend time there, I'm like, ah, this is, this is, this is the real thing. Um, this is real life. Yeah. This is real life, you know. Yeah. Um, there is, it's so much ego. It's like, it's like drinking from the ego cup is, is real, you know, in this business. And, you know, it's. 
when you get defeated, it is, it is uh, for me, definitely important to kind of realize my uh, priorities. I heard a really great quote um, yesterday. It said, the only per- people who care about how many hours you work during a day are your kids. Mm. <laughs> so that was a, a gut shot uh, for me. Um, mm-hmm. Unrelated, you know, you talk a lot about helping founders and being there for founders. If you were to rank the importance of um, the importance of fundraising, deal sourcing, slash, I would say getting deal allocation mm. and helping founders, where would you weight on a scale to a hundred percent each one of those as far as the level of importance? Um, they're all important because if any of them, if you disregard any of them, like, I don't think you have a good fund. I think you could have a fund. Mm-hmm. You may have one fund, you may have two fund, but you're not going to have a generational fund because fundraising, you know, like, TX and I are not great fundraisers. We never have been, and we probably never will be, but it's part of the job. Like, so, yeah, you, know, right. so I, you know, I have some other funds where they like one partner just hates it and will never do it. And the other does everything. And, you know, good if that works for them, you know, but I feel like nobody truly loves that part, you know, cause it's not the core of the craft, but we got to split the responsibility. So when I talk to young managers that there are two of them and they're like, Oh, how do we go about this? I was like, you split it. Number one, you have mm-hmm. OKRs every, you know, like you got to do it. Like it's not fun, but Hey, it's you expect your pipeline. Founder- yeah. yeah. It's a pi- <laughs> it's sales dude. Put on and your you, selling shoes. Totally. And if you expect your founders to do it, cause they have to sell, then that's, you kind of just have to like, you know, live it and do it. And um, so you don't have to be excellent at it, but you got to commit to it and do it in a high integrity way. The other thing about really quickly in the fundraising thing, I think, you know, when I think about the LP community, um, from day one, I always wanted to treat LPs like my peers, my coaches, and like people I truly respect. I have managers out there who see LPs as kind of like a bank. They're like, I'm so like, they want to sell to them. They want to wine and dine. And then when the money comes in, they're like, oops, like I'm out of here. You know, like they don't return mm-hmm. calls and, um, you know, they're not reachable. And a lot of LPs will, you know, reach out to me and complain about that. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't see it that way. And I think right now with this environment, like I actually feel a lot of burden and responsibility to return, you know, to drive a good return because a lot of my LPs are small colleges and hospitals mm-hmm. and uh, things like that. So I, you know, that's one thing I think if you see LPs in a different way and understand their pressures, I think you have greater respect for them and hopefully greater affinity and chemistry and that that relationship is actually nourishing and not you know, transactional, which I think a lot of fund managers see is like, it's, it's like a, a evil that I have to deal with. And, you know, like I'll do one dinner with them once a year when, you know, and that's kind of it. And I don't see it like that. So, you know, my LPs are my friends and I, when I hang out, like, you know, I respect their work and anyways, I, so, um, so, and then I think the uh, middle, which is like, uh, picking winning, it's like picking, um, source, uh, it's sourcing, picking, and then winning. There's actually like three parts and I, very few actually good at all of those. Um, right. and I think if you're not good at all of those and you need to have a team that's good at those things, because some people are great at sourcing, but we, won't, we have really hard time winning. And some people just all care about winning. Uh, but then they pick bad things. <laughs> so, um, so I think, you know, that middle part, um, and then the support, like, again, it depends what you got into this for. I mean, I think there's some funds that are write small checks, they write lots of them and they don't have a bandwidth, the solo GP, so they can't, you know, provide that support. And many of them do set that, that expectation. Um, but 
so much of the joy of our, you know, for me, at least personally, is like to be able to work with these founders and have, you know, a little bit of impact beyond money um, that if I wasn't able to do that, I would, I would, you know, be unhappy. Like I probably wouldn't do this job. So um, no, I mean, I, you'd be a bank, right? Yeah, I mean, that would be, bank, yeah. I'd be a banker. You know, I might as well go work for a hedge fund and make another a shitload more money than what I do today. So, um, but again, you have to titrate that because I think, um, you know, some, I, I can't remember if it was Charles Hudson or somebody that recently like tweeted about it, like, um, some people think the job is X, you know, they come in for this job and they're like, oh, it's great because I love mentoring and I love advising. And um, and then they realize, oh, my God, running a fund is like 90 percent all this other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's super I mean, hard, right. The admin. Well, right. I mean, I'm, like there's only so many times you're going to talk to your founders. Right. I mean, like you might talk to them once a month, once a quarter. Right. Just because it's not even so much your bandwidth. It was their bandwidth. Yeah, like you, yeah. you can't be you can't be in their business all the time because they're running a company. Totally, totally. Um, yeah, and I think uh, it takes a lot of also just like uh, self awareness and training and um, watching to be the right support to be the right you know kind of board member. Um, I just did a little you know roundtable on board you know what it takes to be a board member because a lot of people also like take for granted that role because it's so sexy and they want to throw it on their LinkedIn, but it's a real role. That's really hard to do well. Um, mm-hmm. Anyways, like I think it's like on any given month or year month, I guess it's probably a quarter, you know, you'll calibrate differently on percentage wise of that hundred percent across these different areas, um, depending on where you are. But um, I kind of feel like in, in that senior team, you kind of have to be good at all, all of those. Um, yeah. Or at least develop the bench to be. Yeah, I, I've got a question. This is so interesting to me. This might turn into like a three-hour Lex Friedman podcast, by the way. So I hope you have time. Buckle up. <laughs> I have reserved the whole afternoon for you, David. <laughs> okay. Um, CNLPs in a different way. That to me is super interesting because, as you said, you know, you have to come in. You look at them as your coach. This is an ego-heavy business. Is that is that like an Ava Ho natural thing to kind of have that, or do you have to force that that mentality in your head, you know, about treating these LPs with the respect that they deserve? Um, because I, it's just like I, I it's just I just I, I just know from the business of how grueling it can be, and it's just like it's easy to treat them like the enemy. Yeah, I think you know um, it depends. You know how many it depends on your experience with these people because I think when we started, we had less choice of who we, you know, honestly allowed to come into the fund. It was kind of like every $25,000 check. I'm like, yay, awesome. You know, I didn't really think mm-hmm. like, I'm a good person. Like, right. I, I needed, I needed the money to get going. Um, we needed the money to get going, but you know, fun two on, I was like, Hmm, we have a little bit of choice. Not like a ton. Like we're not like deeply oversubscribed. Like I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna make that crap up. Um, but suddenly I'm like, hmm, there's all these different types. And um, and I'm like, if I'm going to choose this person, this person, like, you know, when you talk to somebody, you have chemistry, just like me and you, like, if I meet an LP and like, we get each other and, you know, and maybe that, you know, LP has a uh, vehicle or, fa- or um, you know, a, yeah, a vehicle that is more mission oriented. Um, and because they know who I am, often they'll lead with that. They're like, I'm talking to Eva, but let me just share like my foundation 
you know, in Pittsburgh also does all these cool things because they know I care. And I'm like, really? Like, tell me more. Like, what, what do you do that? Like, I actually like really dig in, not like, oh, you know, like, oh, you're mission or you're mission oriented. How cool. Kumbaya. Like, it's like, I actually just want to like hear about exactly what they do. And, and I'm like, wow, that conversation just became like a real thing. You know, like then we're really getting to know each other. And of course, like we could talk about, you know, fun metrics and all that stuff, you know, whatever. But um, that's where it feels good. Um, and, you know, I think we're lucky that we have LPs that I actually like care about their mission a lot. Um, and I want them to succeed, you know, personally and as, you know, whatever vehicle that they're in. Um, often I will send like possible, you know, LPs to them because they're mm-hmm. always raising money. And if I know they're good people and I meet some wealthy family, I'm like, oh my God, like that LP, they're pretty great. You should chat, you know? So it all comes back together. And when it compounds in a way that's more than, hey, like, send me your capital call every quarter. It's so much more rewarding, you know? Mm-hmm. And I don't dread my conversation when my LPs come to town or if there's some of them are in town. When they say, hey, Eva, you want to grab a cup of coffee? I mean, yeah, there's a couple exceptions where they're, you know, a little bit difficult. But most of them, I'm like, sure, like, come by. Like, I don't feel the stress, you know? I don't have to, like, put on my, like, nice shirt. Laser, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, whatever. Like, yeah, exactly. You know, like, I feel like let's let's hang and let's, let's talk real talk and – you know, I think they feel like I'll give it to them straight. And I hope vice versa. Like, I'm always just like, are we doing okay? Like, are, mm-hmm. are there anything like, you know, like, give me some real feedback. Like, you know, um, so that's way more fun because that's mm-hmm. like, that thing is a big thing, you know? And I feel uh, some managers are just kind of like dread, like they hate like the whole LP part. And I'm like, that's kind of a little sad, you know, that if you're raising every two years that you're just going to have like a miserable, like, yeah, you got to change the mind. You got to change the mindset. You got to change the mindset. They're just like you and me, right? They're like at a little different layer, but they also got to return money. And, you know, yeah. it's the same thing, right? So I'm kind of like, everyone's, everyone's got a master. <laughs> bingo, bingo. You know, we're all motivated by the same things. And I know mm-hmm. when that, when they, for them, they also say, hey, like, I always look forward to hanging out with you versus they're like, oh, okay, I got to go to this AGM. I got to go to this AGM. I got to shake mm-hmm. these four hands. I got to check on these numbers. <laughs> like, they're right. like, oh, I'm really excited to hang out with you. I'm like, really? They're like, yeah. Like, we're going to have fun. Like, this is going to be a good conversation. And that's cool. That yeah. is cool. Yeah. So. so you brought into this spectrum, which I've never even – I think someone brought this up to me a long time ago, but I haven't revisited thinking this. But you, you broke up deal sourcing into three categories, sourcing, picking, and winning. I want to talk to you about picking. Right. So would you consider yourself a good picker? And like, what is what makes a good picker? Oh, that's so hard to answer, David, because it's such a long game, you know, and I totally. would, it's, you know, I would behoove myself to say, hey, I have like six companies that I pick that's like worth several hundred million dollars today. Mm-hmm. What does it mean? Like until I have like DPI and like. DPI from companies that I'm proud of, right? Like if I have DPI from a company that was like, you know, a shitty CEO, but somehow we sold for 500 million bucks, like, you know, that's neither here or there for me personally, honestly. Right. But, I, yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't an easy, it wasn't an easy money to get. I've had yeah, those. It wasn't easy money. Yeah. And I think for me, like picking, and I actually had this conversation with some of my partners, like I'm, we're driving towards like, are we like picking companies that are really going to sustain and endure 
sorry about that, um, sustain and endure because it's easy to have these like multiple markups. It's easy to see a product utility. It's easy to see some good, happy customers. But the for me, at least, and my team, like the end goal is to have a company that's going to be around for like 50, 100 years, you know, like that it's going to be this transformational company that created a lot of value for a lot of people. Um, that's the dream, you know. Will to get there, will we have to do like a couple of onesie, twosie exits or whatever? Sure. Um, but that's from picking. So I think some people have the bar of like, oh, if I pick a company, I flip it for 3x and I pick, you know, in every portfolio construction, I have four companies that are on 2x, 3x, and that's fine. And that's fine. And that's important. I mean, portfolio construction is ultra important. But I want to be able to say, like, hey, like I was able to, you know, find a couple of companies. So time will tell. Uh, I have a bunch of, you know, value drivers, <laughs> yeah. uh, but you know, I've done this long enough and I've been part of companies long enough that, um, what looks great tomorrow today could be, you know, could go sideways tomorrow. Right. Well, like, totally. So, uh, you know, we, we not all, all of us are living this now, right. There's the reality. It's like, you get slap in the face, um, type of thing. Um, so, you know, I haven't, I'm not counting that yet, but hopefully I, I hopefully I'll prove to be a decent picker. Hopefully. And if you look at the ones that have gained velocity, right, and, you know, again, I get DPI versus TVPI, and for those who don't know what that is, that's actually receiving money back from the fund and not just getting unrealized gains. But from the ones, a lot of these early stage investments go flat and they or they flop. So, I mean, for the ones, and let's just assume that, you know, there's going to be a liquidity event, would you say that... Um, you're decent or is there like an invest because i feel like it really kind of comes down to like investment committee right i mean like does everybody kind of just like vote at fika you know on an investment decision does like a partner champion it like how does it work yeah that's uh one of the hardest things to get right especially as your team grows is like how you make these you know very select decisions um for us we do have a voting system um you know we have uh, and then the, it's weighted differently depending on your areas of expertise. Like TX is a lot of fintech. Uh, John does a lot of data infrastructure. Um, you know, I do more health and applied AI. So uh, there, there's more weight uh, if you want to be the sponsor of a deal, um, if that partner really wants to do it. Um, you know, I think that's kind of how we think about it. And I think it, it, right now it takes two partners to be excited about a deal to get a deal through. Uh, and then everyone else obviously participates, provides insights and, you know, help do a lot of the hard work. So it's a very much of a team effort. Um, but, but it's hard because picking is a, such a personal taste thing. And as you add totally. more people to the team, I was just chatting with other funds because the more people, the harder it becomes because we all have so many biases and so many triggers. And it's kind of like, Oh, you bring something. I was like, Oh God, like I just like, my God's like, Oh, I hate that. You know, like whatever. Yeah, totally. totally. Yeah. And, um, and you know, I just, I was actually just with a GP friend, a friend of mine right before this. And we were talking about, culture, right? Building firm culture and how do we make sure we have the right, you know, culture makeup to make these decisions optimally. And it's a constant evolution, right? Because it's kind of like, you know, if you bring a deal and, you know, I may not like it, like how do we prosecute this? Right. Um, and every team is different. Some people always like sort of softer and be like, oh yeah, go do more work and bring back stuff. And others are kind of like bring that in hand. Like, we're not just not going to do it. I want to veto that deal. Um, some people do it blind, you know, so uh, blind voting and, and and whatnot. So I would, to be honest, we're still evolving because our team has grown quite a bit. Um, but my personal preference is active debate, 
actively disagree, but don't be disagreeable. Um, and be like intellectually honest, right? Like, and like, I will get more confidence in whatever you are pitching. Like if you bring me information, you justify sort of why you, you know, landed at those conclusions. Like, like you can convince me, um, but I need like, I need you to do the work. Um, And I want to see convictions as evidence-based conviction, not because like, you know, somehow like I woke up and I really wanted to do this. Right. Um, So that's kind of, and I want to, I also want to support contrarian decisions, right? Like, cause some of those are the best. So like, if you bring something and I'm like, you know, it's not my thing, but you're like, Eve, I really want to do this because I've done the work. I love it. Um, super excited about it. I'm like, go for it, David, do it. You know, mm-hmm. because that's where you got to just believe that instinct and that work and trust that work. Right. So I'm trying to set my team, giving them more freedom to get to that conviction on their own. Um, because it's hard because there's power dynamics, right? Like some people are afraid to speak up, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in a meeting, uh, or they don't want it. They don't want to argue with the GP, right? They don't argue with the GP, um, or if it's an area that they don't know very much about, they'd rather not say something that's slightly off, you know, because they don't want to be judged. Um, and this is a developmental thing. We got all got to work. And I, I encourage like, just please disagree, you know, please say, you know, or please ask me questions to challenge my, you know, hypothesis, like, that's the only way we're going to get to a better outcome. Cause if it's all kind of like, Oh, even TX, what do you think? You know, right. like, then it's no fun for me. It's no fun for you. Um, so I think, yeah, we try to still perfect it, but that picking is very, very critical, you know? Yeah. And I would say most firms, um, are still figuring it out. Like if it's a small firm, I, which I envy by the way, like if it's two partners and they make all the decisions, you know, it's probably easier, like a homebrew, you know, like, um, I think, uh, you know, uh, Hunter and Satya are very, like, very um, super aligned on on the things they like because they've been together for so long. But most other firms have other people, you know, um, yeah. and you want to take account sort of their thoughts and their work and their research. And um, so, yeah, it's it's a evolving thing. Totally. I told you I'd ask good questions. <laughs> it was you, good. Like, you did not disappoint. You did not. Disappoint. <laughs> 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 my questions too. <laughs> I called my shot. I said, "This is going to be a dope interview." Are you drinking a white? Are you drinking a white Russian? What are you drinking? Are you day I, drinking? I wish. I wish. <laughs> oh, it's just a home uh, Starbucks cold brew here. Homemade. Awesome. Homemade. Yeah. I've got a thousand more questions, but I want to give you your time back. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for tuning in to the Capital Stack Podcast. Make sure to share this with someone you know that can benefit from this content. Remember to support this show by rating, reviewing, and subscribing. David Paul is the founder and general partner at DWP Capital. All opinions expressed by David and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of DWP Capital. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. David and guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed on this podcast.